0: Chapter 4, we have come as far as verse 26, where the woman at the well said to Jesus, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called the Christ, and when he comes, he's going to teach us all things. And Jesus, of course, said to her, I that speak unto thee am he, or I am he that speaketh. Unto you, We don't know what that moment was like, face to face, the tone of his voice, the look in his eyes. He just, tell, he just this young Jewish rabbi just says to her, I'm the Messiah, I'm the one. Which, of course, answers her question when uh, he asked her for a drink in the beginning. She said, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask of me, a woman and a Samaritan, for a drink of water? Now she knows, how is it? That question's answer, But you think of the depth of their fellowship as she's looking into his face. We've come as far as verse 27. It says, And upon this came his disciples, and marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou? Or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meantime, while his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest? Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. He that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto eternal life. Both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true. One soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereupon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored and you are entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him, that he would tarry with them, and he abode with them two days. And many more believed because of his word. And said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, For we have heard him ourselves and know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. So we have our last moments with this woman of Samaria, who we're, I believe, about to meet in the not-too-distant future. You see this situation where they're standing there face-to-face, And I can't imagine the depth of the communion that she's enjoying with him at that moment. But you all know what happens when you're sitting alone with the Lord. You're enjoying communion with him. Everything's quiet. The phone rings. Uh, The dog throws up. Uh, The sweepstakes people come to the door. Uh, You know, the, the kitchen smoking. I mean, the interruptions were so used to them. And there's no different here. She's with him face to face alone, and it says, and then the disciples came. This crew of these 12 guys come. And we're going to see they haven't really got a handle on what's going on. And then she leaves. It says, when they come, it says, she said, I, he said, I speak unto thee. And he, and upon this came the disciples, and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? And it's, it's interesting. It says they marveled. Because understand, you and I, um, 2,000 years later, it's hard to appreciate, I think, the, the religious restraint that every Jewish man, let alone a rabbi, was under. The Mishnah... Part of the Talmud, which was developing, said rabbis who talk too much to women bring evil upon themselves. They neglect the study of the law, and at the last, they inherit Gehenna. That's a little bit of legalism. No wonder they marveled. The idea is they were astonished. They come, they call him rabbi, teacher, and here he is alone with this. Samaritan woman to top it all and he's there dialoguing we don't know if she's sitting on the well next to him at this point in time has he stood up and are they face to face uh, as they were coming did he see him did they see him grab her face and say I that speak to thee am he you know we don't know but the, the guys come and they marvel and it says but nobody dared ask him what do you seek him? why are you talking to her John, writing as a 90-year-old man, it's interesting, these things are kind of really etched in his memory. In chapter 21, after the resurrection, when Jesus comes to them, they're fishing in the Sea of Galilee, and he stands on the shore, he says, throw the net on the other side. And as they do that, the net fills with fish, and John says to Peter, it's him. He dives in the water, swims ashore. The rest get there, dragging in the fish. And Jesus has already got a fire going, fish grilling, bread there. And it says they sat down with him. John says, But no man dared ask him whether he was Jesus or not. He remembers all these years later these incidents where it was just so obvious, but they restrained themselves. They don't know what to do, didn't know what to ask. So they don't know what to say to him about this woman. Right? You know, I, we can't believe he's breaking these barriers that none of these Jewish men are used to. And it says in verse 28, And the woman left, as the guy showed up. She left, it says, her water pot. She took her fountain with her, but she left her water pot. And she went her way. Interesting. Her way was different going home than it was when she left. She was way different going back than she was when she came She went her way into the city, Sikar, in Samaria. And she kept saying, saith to the men, come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. So this strange set of circumstances. She leaves. She goes back to the village where she came from. No doubt the difference in her between when she left that morning and when she returned is noticeable. She left empty, dry. She comes back bubbling over. She left the broken, immoral person that they all knew so well in the middle of the day so she didn't have to be with anyone else at the well. And she comes back. Just changed. She's filled. She's bubbling over. Uh, Oregon. One of the church fathers said she goes back as the apostle to the Samaritans, and his countenance had changed her countenance. You know, she says he told me all things I ever did. Now we don't have that recorded in the conversation, and he may not have said that in words people try to say, well, she's exaggerating. I don't believe that. If you've been, you know, when when we're in the presence of the Lord sometimes and his presence is that real, everything we've ever done is in the light. We hang our head, you know, like Isaiah, you know, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up his train, filled the temple and so forth. And he says, when he saw that, he said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. Daniel tells us when he was praying, seeking the Lord, and the Lord appeared. He said, all of my comeliness, my beauty turned to ashes. John, our writer here, tells us on the Isle of Patmos, when the Lord appeared to him, he fell down like a dead man. You know, it's easy for us to... Judge one another and say well i'm better than that guy or i'm better than her or at least i'm not like but that's not the that's not the standard. The standard is to look at him and see where you measure up, and when you see that, you fall on your face and this woman, how he revealed himself to her as he began to speak to her about her past, what she 's saying is, I was overwhelmed he and he 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 opened up my entire life everything that I ever did, you need to come. And you, you see now the guys of the town, maybe they're a little nervous, some of the men, when she comes and says he told me everything I ever did, because that involved at least five or six of them. You know, he he she comes back, and it isn't humility. He He didn't embarrass her. They're not expecting to hear this from her, but she comes back, she's relieved of all the things she ever did. You know, she's not in shame. You know, she went out tortured, and the Lord, like the storm, said, peace be still. And she's come back so different. Some people, when you share Christ with them, some people, when they get in a situation, maybe sitting at church, listening to a, an altar call, or having a friend share Christ with them, or, you know, one way or another, the, the believers sometimes do, but they react a different way. All of a sudden, they're confronted with Christ they deny him. You know, they want out of his presence. They mock him. They avoid him. They discredit him. She doesn't keep what he said secret. That's what they would expect. You know, oh, he revealed everything. She, she doesn't discredit him. She doesn't say, oh, I don't believe him. He doesn't know what he's talking about. She, she comes back and said, no, he told me everything. They're shocked at it. He told me everything. She doesn't try to hide it. She's completely relieved of it all. She's in the open with the whole thing. And they can tell there's no baloney, right? We all have baloney meters. And they can tell as she's doing this, wow, she's different, man. She changed. What happened? She's different than when she went out this morning. She's, she's bubbling over. There's unction. It's interesting. One of the church fathers said the two most... Honored preachers in the Gospels, besides John the Baptist, are the Gadarene, the demoniac, who's delivered and wants to go with Jesus. He said, no, go on home, tell your friends and your family all the great things God has done. And when he comes back to the area, all of Decapolis gathers to him. And the other great preacher of the New Testament is this woman who comes back to him with all the men of the town, back out to the well. The apostle to the Samaritans. What an interesting, because she encountered, look, she encountered the one that she had been longing to. The man that she was looking for is the one that she finally comes in contact with. All of her wounds, and look, whatever we've been through, she would say something to us. All of our scars, all of our bruises, the unbearable broken heart that we might carry around with us in her, has encountered the great physician. The only remedy for all of that brokenness. And it's the same today. He's the only one. Not church, not Calvary Chapel, not a ministry, not an environment, a person. Where we get so close that everything we would ever done is in the light. And it's lifted from us. Interesting, Hosea would say this long before Christ came, his impressions of the Lord says, I will visit upon her the days of Balaam wherein she burned incense to them. She decked herself with her earrings and her jewels and she went after her lovers and she forgot me, saith the Lord. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably to her. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he got her alone and spoke comfortably to her. You know, one of the Puritans said she returns to Samaria like a dove with an olive branch in her mouth for the Samaritans from this Jewish rabbi. You know, how shocked they are. When she comes, and it says, then they go back with her to encounter him. They go back to meet him. It says, the men then of the city, they came. Meantime, in verse 31, it says, in the meantime, like I said, meantime, while his disciples, they were praying to him, they were begging him, saying, Master, eat. And he said to them, I have me to eat that you know not of. And, of course, these guys, these are the A apostles, not the B apostles. Or the, they start saying, "Ah, oh, somebody else beat us here. Somebody else snuck out of here with some food. Somebody else fed him. He had something to eat we don't know about. You know, in his metaphors, he's on the temple mount, and he says, tear down this temple. I'll rebuild it again in three days. They didn't understand the metaphor of his body. When he says to Nicodemus, unless a man is born again, he's not going to see the kingdom. Nicodemus said, i got to go back in my mother's womb. What's the deal? He didn't understand the metaphor. When he said to the woman, if you come to me and drink, I'll give you a living word. You'll never thirst again. She didn't understand the metaphor. And now he says to his disciples, I have meat to eat you know not of. And they're scratching their heads saying, what happened? Somebody else?" And look, there's a certain frustration to this, I know. Um, some people love to cook. And some people are gifted, and they know it. I mean, some people, you say grace before you eat and after you eat. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, some people, you know, they really cook, you prepare, you're going to have friends over, you do a lot of work, or you, you make a special dinner, and you sit down, and uh, they say, yeah, I'm not hungry. You know, it's funny, when I was a, a kid, my grandfather lived in the house with us. He was a remarkable old guy. He spoke Hungarian, German, Romanian, and English. And, uh, he would drive my mother crazy. Now, when I was a kid, I wasn't saved. I hated my mother. Uh, she drove me crazy, too. But but one thing I loved about my grandfather is she would go to work. She'd make dinner, and, uh, we'd sit down at the table, and she'd always have a place set for him, too. And, uh... She would say, where is he, where is he? And my dad would go upstairs and come down and say, he's not hungry. And she would get some, and I know he was hungry. He was just doing it to her, you know. (laughs) So they they have a level of frustration. You already ate. We went into these unclean Samaritans. We had to be in the marketplace with them. We had to schlep all this stuff back here. And we set out this smorgasbord on the well. And you ain't hungry. You know, you can imagine some of that cooking then he said he says i have meat to eat i have food to eat that you don't know about so then what's he talking about somebody snuck out here somebody fed him while we weren't around Uh, what's the deal then jesus says to them look my meat my food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work he says there's a greater hunger there's a greater need And I look at it and think, is obedience to your will food for me, Lord? Is that nourishment for me? When I obey you and do what I think you're telling me to do, am I nourished by that? The Puritans would say, if you don't eat, you can't work. And then we're talking about that spiritual food. And uh, the Lord here saying, look, you know, I think some people get so caught up in the physical, their career, their home, you know, their finances. And we should be good stewards and take care of all of that stuff. But they forget about the eternal. It gets shanghaied by all of the pressing things in our lives. And he says, I have something else that satisfies me, it's deeper. And that's to do the will of the one who sent me. Not my will, but thine be done. To do the will of the one that sent me. And he says, and to finish his work. He'll mention that several times through John's gospel. But most notably, John says on the cross that he cried out, it is finished. He finally finished the work that he had come to do. And no doubt... As he's looking, thinking about the Samaritan woman, he knows what's going on back in Samaria. At this point, is he even seeing the woman with all of the men, all of the people of, of Sikhar, the village, coming back in his direction? And he's looking at them, and, and I believe past them, to our sanctuary this morning, to our city. our lives and says what nourishes me is to do the will of the one that sent me and to finish that work, to die on the cross for their behalf, to pay the price they could never pray to make the, the pay, to make the eternal available to them that they could never attain to on their own I have something to eat that you don't know about, he had said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And he says this to them. He says, say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already to harvest, uh, interesting say not ye," some see that as he's telling them, "Don't say this, that the harvest ain't coming for four months, and procrastinate. Um, some of the more critical Greek scholars said that he his "say not ye" is, "Don't you guys say this?" In other words, it's a proverbial saying. They would say in Matthew chapter 16, verses 2 and 3, you know, red sky morning, sailor take warning, red red sky at night, sailors delight. You know, Jesus said you can discern the the signs of the sky, but but you can't discern discern the signs of the times. That was evidently a saying they had. And evidently this is one of them. He said, don't say not. Isn't this what you guys say? There's four months and then the harvest. You kind of see it at a distance. You put it off. He says, but I say to you, the contrast, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. For they are white already to harvest. It wouldn't have been in the natural by the timing of all this. The harvest would not be ripe to be harvested. But no doubt he's looking at the Samaritans coming. Lift up your eyes. Look. The fields are already white to harvest. And if it was true for them, how much truer is it now, right at the end of the age, when the last harvest is going to take place? If it was true for them, how true is it now? And can we hear the Lord saying, lift up your eyes, look, because the harvest is ready to be harvested around, you know, that's past tragedy, past war, past casualties, past the news, beyond all of that. We, we tend to judge the whole world we're living in by Ukraine, by, you know, the Middle East, by the economy, by politics, by all of the insanity that revolves around us. The Lord said, no, no, lift up your eyes above all of that and look because there's a harvest you're surrounded by broken empty fearful depressed lonely people and you have the only remedy the great physician lift up your eyes he says and look and if he said that to them said it to us and look lift up your eyes Do you have an unsaved mom, an unsaved spouse, unsaved son or daughter, classmate? You think, well, I don't have any influence. Wait a minute. Look, this is all happening because he talked to one immoral woman. You would think that would be the last shot you would take, you know. He took this time, must needs go through Samaria, To sit with one Samaritan sinner. One. And she is so overwhelmed by his love and his grace that she comes back into her village completely different than she had left a few hours before that. So different that it's noticeable. There's no baloney about it. It's completely genuine. And it's now infecting the whole village. Lift up your eyes. What is it for you? One person? One immoral person? One lost person? Don't denigrate that. Don't look down on it. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. You know, Moses, I always think of him. God had this, you know. God said, go tell them, you know, and just. And, That I said this, and Moses said, I don't know, I don't know your name. What am I going to Who sent me? And he says, Well, this is my name. And then he says, Well, then they don't know me. They're going to say, Who are you? And and God says, Well, he doesn't know who I am. He doesn't know who he is. Let's start with this. What's in your hand? A rod. You know, it was his shepherd's staff, 40 years on the backside of the desert. It was worn. No doubt shiny in places it smelled like lanolin. He knew where to grip it. He knew he was completely familiar with it. But he had no idea that he was about to throw it down. It was going to turn into a serpent. He had no idea it would turn the Nile to blood. He had no idea God would use it to part the Red Sea. He had no idea that it would bud and bring forth blossoms. He knew it so well he didn't know it at all. And what's in our hand? The jawbone of an ass? Maybe you're supposed to kill a thousand Philistines. A stone from the brook? Maybe it's supposed to end up in the forehead of a giant. Three loaves and two fish? Lift up your eyes. Is there one person that you can get to in a doctor's office, at the market, in the gas station? One person. And the most down and out person. And the person you least think will get saved. Sometimes that's the person more than anyone else that appreciates the love and the forgiveness of God when it's encountered. And she's lit up. She's a firebrand now. She's a torch. She's affected the whole community. He says, lift up your eyes now and look on the fields because they're white for harvest. He that reapeth receiveth wages. And he's talking to them about reaping. And gathereth fruit to life eternal. That both he that soweth and he that reapeth, they may rejoice together. Of course, truly there's only one sower. And there's only one seed, the word of God but he says there's a day to rejoice together and when he that reaps will rejoice with the one who sows he says and herein is that saying true one sows another reaps paul tells us in 1 corinthians chapter 3 that uh, that one man sows another man waters but only god brings the increase chapter 9 he says he who sows sparingly reaps sparingly who who he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully the, those images of the natural of the agricultural understood well he says well, you know in the natural one sows another reaps i sent you to reap notice not to sow i sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor other men labored and you are entered into their labors. Other men that labored. Who was it? Of course, you know, the prophets of old. John the Baptist had just stirred the whole area. Christ himself there sowing seed in Samaria. Others have labored in many circumstances in our lives as well and we get to reap. Other, Someone else has begun the labor and then it ends up With us to do the reaping, to do the gathering. He says he says, Do that. He says, I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men are labored and you are entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of the city believed on him. Now the first group it here says, For the saying of the woman, in other words, She so changed, so lit up, her testimony so real. They believe, because of the saying of the woman which testified, he told me all things ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them and he abode there two days. Now we don't know what happens. Comes back to the well, the woman Parts of the city, men, there are probably other women. They come back, and it says some of them are believing because of what the woman said as they're looking at this young Jewish rabbi who's not standing back from them. He's not, you know, pronouncing any anathema on them as Samaritans. He's communing with them, talking with them, and says many believed because of the testimony of the woman, As no doubt as they encounter him. He's that real. He cares that much and it says, and they begin, They besought him that he would come back and abide with them. And you, you got to, probably the 12 guys are saying, Lord, no, we got to go. We got to get it. We just got out of there. We were shopping all day. We don't want to go back in there. You know, just, you can imagine. And it, but it says he went in and he stayed with them for 48 hours, for two days. Imagine the prejudice that's being set aside. If you're being conformed into the image and likeness of Christ, please take note of his behavior. He's crossing boundaries of race, indigenous people groups. He's stepping into something that his own despised for two days. That many went into the town. He entered somebody's house. He ate with them. He slept with them. He got up in the morning, had coffee and donuts with them. He taught them. He held their children. What were those two days like? The disciples still don't get it. The Pharisees certainly don't because they tell Jesus, don't we speak the truth when we say you're a Samaritan and you have a demon? The disciples don't get it because... Before this is over, they're saying, Lord, call down fire on Samaria and incinerate all those people that took care of us for two days. And that lady at the well, you know, call down fire from heaven. He says, uh, Jesus said, oi vey. That's what it says in the Greek, you know. You don't know what spirit you're of. And he changes the James and John to Bo and Jerry's, the sons of thunder at that point in time. Maybe they always remembered their bad attitude for the rest of their life. Two days with them. Imagine. And it says, and many more believed, listen, because of his word. There's no evidence he did any miracle in Samaria, he did miracles at Cana, turning the water to wine. When he came to Jerusalem, he did miracles because Nicodemus came and said, nobody could do the signs that you're doing except he was sent from God and God was with him. You know, the miracles were a testing. Paul will write 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Jews seek after a sign. Greeks after wisdom, the Jews, they need a sign because of Moses and Elijah, their heritage. It says the Samaritans, they believed because of his word. Because the preaching of the word always takes precedent over miracles. Miracles are wonderful. They can never define the truth. The magicians in Egypt did miracles. In the New Testament, any miracle bore witness of the word that was spoken. Nobody ever used the word to bear witness of miracles in the New Testament. Miracles always bore witness of the word. Here amongst the Samaritans, no miracles. They believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, Now we believe. That's the last we hear of her, by the way. They said to the woman, Now we believe. The reason for we have heard him ourselves. Just they sat and they listened to him. This young 30-year-old Jewish rabbi who wasn't holding himself back at all to speak to them and love them and to be with their children and in their homes and to eat with them. We've heard them ourselves. And they believe. We've heard him ourselves and we know, we perceive, oh, we know, and listen to what they say, that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now, that's the only time that phrase is used. In fact, it's the only time the word Savior, Soter, is in John's Gospel. The phrase Savior of the world is only used twice in the New Testament. The second time is in 1 John chapter 4, verse 14. He says, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. That's the only other time you find it, John in both places. But the amazing thing is, you find it here from the Samaritans, not from the Jews. The Samaritans. He's not just the Savior of the Jews, they understand because they've been drawn in. He's the Savior of the world. If He can save us, He can save anyone. We know, we perceive, this is indeed the Christ, they say to the woman. He's the Savior of the world. And she kind of passes off the scene. And we wonder now as we look at this, it says, verse 43 will be next week if he tarries after two days. That's in two days he stayed with them. Does she ever see him again? We're not told. Did he revisit her? Did she go down to the well and sit on the well during the Jewish feasts, knowing that he might be passing through and watch for him to come over the horizon? Did he pass by that well again? He had told the disciples, go into Samaria and get us a place to stay. And I can't believe he'd have gone in there and stayed there and not said hi to her. Did she leave Sikar and follow him with the other women? It says there was a group of women that followed him and ministered to his knees. Was she with them? On Palm Sunday... At the triumphal entry, did she raise her palm in the air and wave it as he rode in to Jerusalem? Did she hear him on the cross say, it is finished? Was she with the 500 that saw him after his resurrection? I would think so. In Acts chapter 8, when Philip goes to Samaria and there's a great revival and the apostles in Jerusalem hear that the gospel has gone to the Samaritans, it says Peter and John come out to confirm the reality of it. Did she sit with them back at the well again, Pete and Johnny? She said, I remember the look on you guys. You came back and he was talking to me. You were like marveling, you know. You were astounded. Did Did they sit and did they talk with her? Again, I I can't believe that this revival happened in Samaria. Peter and John said, we know somebody we can stay with when we get there. And they came and saw what God was doing amongst the Samaritans. How often is an old woman, when she was having a hard time, did she go and sit at the well? And seek her Savior. Do you have a place where you get alone? How often did she go back there as an old woman and sit at that well? There are things for us here. Know that you're going to be interrupted when you're trying to spend time with Jesus and don't yell at anybody. Just roll with the punches. Understand that there are things that are much higher than the appetites of this world. And if you only fulfill the appetites of this world, there are things you'll never realize and never step into. Understand that of any generation of the church that's ever lived... It's more incum- incumbent upon us to lift up our eyes and see the harvest in this broken, lonely, dark world. There is an eternal destiny for so many that are in the middle of this. And understand what this woman would have to say to us. You know, the Lord took the time, said it must needs go through Samaria, Samaria. And he put these things to the page, and knew we would be sitting here, two thousand years later. No doubt, as he looked at the Samaritans come and he saw them. No doubt, he saw Acts chapter eight. He saw a church beginning. No doubt, he looked through to the the gospel spreading in the Book of Acts to Europe and then to America. No doubt, he saw us sitting here this morning. And I would say to the most immoral person here, I would say to the woman here that's bruised and broken and battered, immoral, empty, cynical. Jesus said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. This is recorded because he would come and sit at the well with you. She went out in the middle of the day when other women, where do you go to get away from everybody when you're really broken and you're really empty? He'll be there. He put this to the page. Because if he didn't, we'd never think, oh, yeah, he never wanted anything to do with me. I'm so messed up. i got so many things going on in my life that are wrong he puts this whole thing, this portrait, this caricature of this woman, he puts this image. He, he, he turns our ears into eyes with this passage and says, This is who I am. This is how I love. This is how I forgive. This is how I heal. This is how I renew. This is how I strengthen. You're going to see her soon. And hopefully you'll see the five guys she was married to and the one she was living with as well. (laughs) Because she's become an evangelist this day. So, uh, you know, there, there are things here for each of us. And and the Lord wanted this to come to us, this record of this woman, this one, one woman that has changed the world in so many ways and the church for 2,000 years. Let's stand, let's pray. Lord, we, uh, we look to you, Lord, this remarkable scene, so human, Lord, so filled with emotion and human perception and the, the lack of human perception. And, but so filled with you, Lord, so filled with your love and your care, your grace. The things, Lord, sometimes we're even afraid to to trust. Things about you, Lord, that sometimes we're afraid. We're just afraid to step out of the boat onto the water, Lord. Sometimes we're afraid, Lord, that you're not going to hold us up, Lord. Sometimes we're afraid, Lord, when everything we've ever done comes into the light, that you'll walk away from us instead of embracing us and healing us and renewing us. Lord, give each of us our portion from this passage. You know us all individually as you knew her individually. And Lord, you went out of your way to get to this well for one person. And you're the same today. And here we are, Lord, each of us, individuals, longing for you for different reasons, thirsting for you, Lord. Lord, we just commit our next meeting with you to you right now. The next season of communion that we enjoy, whether it's this afternoon or this evening, Lord. And let there be a greater depth of familiarity because of your word. And we believe we're praying according to your will, Lord Jesus. And we pray in your name. Amen.